Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope, a podcast about business, well-being and chocolate. Hello and welcome to our latest episode of Hope and Patience. It's fab to have you here and if you're new to the show, the hugest of welcomes. Just to give you the heads up, if you sign up to the H&P newsletter, you're in with a chance of winning one of our chocolate bars. Our guest today takes their clients on adventures. And guess what? You don't need to move very far to get adventuring. He's the founder of an award-winning escape game business, originally designed to be a physical experience when it launched in 2019. But as you'll discover, the pandemic flipped that business model on its head and took it online. Featured in Huffington Post, London Live, described by Time Out as one of the best online experiences, and with a predicted turnover of three quarters of a million this year, he's a guy travelling on the upward curve with his business. So time to introduce our guest, Chris Stilianu, founder of The Adventure Is Real. Hello and welcome to H&P, Chris. Hi, Amelia. Thank you very much for having me on the show. So... We would love to hear, Chris, how did The Adventure Is Real come about? So it all started back in 2018. And it was really a few different ideas I had in my head coming together. Uh, I'd been working as an accountant for close to eight years by that point. I I graduated university, wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do, but, but had a bit of a passion for doing my own thing. Um, But I got comfortable working at a bank and sort of hadn't made the move. So I was I was getting really antsy at that point and, you know, sort of berating myself a little bit for not having done anything with that. So I was I was quite keen to start up something. At the same time, uh, my friends and I had really started playing sort of the old school you know, tabletop role-playing games. So, you know, you'd, you'd sort of sit around a table with your friends, role-playing, rolling dice and so forth. And I was looking at the, the big immersive experience trend that was really growing in London as well. And I sort of thought, well, could I, could I combine all of these things together? So I, I came up with the, the original idea for The Adventure is Real, which was a sort of medieval fantasy-inspired immersive experience where groups of friends would come together and take on the roles of these mythical heroes and we'd give them costumes and weapons and we'd we'd host it in a in an actual dungeon with dynamic lighting and sound effects and an actor would host the whole thing as they would they would play this game over the course of uh, three or so hours um, and have a great time so it was all of those ideas sort of coming together um, and crucially, I felt that if I made some slight changes to the kind of games already that existed in this space, I'd be able to target it at a much wider audience than, you know, traditionally, you know, this this area has been seen as quite niche. So, you know, being able to expand that. So it kind of went from there, really. Um, I, long story short, I found a physical space. We made it look like an actual dungeon, filled it with props and costumes. And then I spent around a year and a half uh, doing what they call playtesting, mm-hmm. which is, you know, in the in the game design world, that's where you, you know, effectively give it to players to play a game and you're not testing out whether things like software or, or, or technology has bugs or breaks or anything like that. You're really seeing, does, does the game work? Do people understand it? Do, are the instructions clear? 
So we did that over a year and a half, and then we eventually launched it at the end of 2019. And probably with no idea that you were going to be thrust into the online digital world. No, really, that, that really wasn't something we had in our minds at the time. You know, the live the live space uh, for live experiences was really, really bustling. Um, and it was still very much on an upward trajectory. So we were really excited to launch. It was the end of 2019. I'd, I got married as well at around that time. So I was in a really happy place. I thought, great, this is, <laughs> this is, this is rolling. The business has launched. It was getting, at the beginning of 2020, it was getting a really, really good reception. We recorded a, a live trailer um, and we were sort of partnering up with, uh, you know, like sort of ticket and, and lifestyle websites. So people were starting to see this and starting to, to chat to each other and it was generating a lot of buzz. And around that time as well, I was finishing, I was contracting at the time and I was I was finishing up my contract. So I thought, great, you know, everything's up and running. People are getting excited. I've got a bit of time now in between contracts to really focus on building the business a bit, you know, a bit further. Like I very much thought, yeah, life's really, really good right now. So when you took the leap to go into the business full time, was that, were you sort of propelled into it because your contract had come to the end? Or was it because you had this itch that you just thought, I've got to do it, I'm going to go all in? So the contract uh, was coming to an end. Um, so I'd started contracting back in 2018 when I first had the idea. I, I thought I'll contract and use that to, you know, sort of generate more money than if I was just an employee and I can use that to fund the business. So my contract was coming to an end naturally and I knew it would probably take a month or two to find a new contract. So I was thinking, great, I'll use that time in between contracts to build the business up a bit more. And then I will start a new contract and continue to work on this part time. So really, it wasn't a conscious decision to go and work for the business full time. It was more of an extended vacation where I thought, great, I can spend more time working on the business whilst I search for my next next contract. And where does your entrepreneurial spirit come from, Chris? Are your parents entrepreneurs or... Family. Not really. I mean, my my dad was a teacher and my mum was a dentist. I mean, my mum did have her own practice, but sort of running your own sort of private practice is a bit different to, you know, sort of trying to launch a startup. So I'm kind of the first in my family a little bit to sort of want to, to create a business and grow it as, as much as we, we are doing. Um, it's difficult to pinpoint where exactly it's come from. I think it boils down to the fact that I I was just never satisfied working for another person. Um, I find that I'm just so much better motivated when I'm working on my own thing and working for myself than when I'm, I'm working on behalf of someone else. How many people do you have in your team, Chris? So right now, we've got approximately seven people. Some of those are working on a part-time basis, some full-time. And then on top of that, we've got a roster of 20 actors. Back onto the business moving from a physical experience onto the digital experience, how easy was it for you to transfer the business and taking on board that we were in the early stages of the pandemic when really none, nobody knew what the heck was happening and everybody was sort of hunkering down? Yeah, so it it all happened, I think it was the th second or third week of March, 
when the government of 2020, when the government suddenly announced that everyone has to stop going out. So I remember at the start of that week, all of a sudden, our bookings disappeared overnight. And by the end of it, the government officially mandated that we were going to have to close down. Um, And obviously, that was a a very painful week. You know, things that were just getting going and all of a sudden we were having to shut them down. We were discussing whether there'd be potentially any options to, to pursue you know, during this period, uh, I think the government had indicated, had had signalled that it would be approximately 12 weeks until things might be able to open up again. So it was extremely tempting to just try and hibernate the business for those 12 weeks and, you know, sort of, you know, come back to it when things could open up. At the same time, my contract, because of all of this happening, contracts dried up overnight. So it wasn't like I could jump into a new contract. So it was it was quite a scary point where I thought, okay, my income's disappeared overnight. I've got this business which, you know, has an expense as well, which now can't operate. I was I was really wondering what I was going to do. Uh, one of our team members said, well, could you not take your existing live experience and, and can we not just convert that to, you know, occurring online? Mm-hmm. And I really thought, well, not really. You know, the the appeal of the live experience is you've got costumes, you've got sound effects, you've got lighting effects, you're in a, you're in a dungeon. It matches the theme of the, the game. You know, that's that you can't just sort of portray that through a Zoom meeting. But then I, I, I had what at the time was a real light bulb moment. And in hindsight, it, it seems obvious, but it, at the time it was a, a real revelation for me. I thought... What if rather than taking our existing experience that we've spent all this time working on and trying to convert it to online, we design from scratch a new experience designed to be online in the first place? One that takes, you know, utilizes the fact that you're maybe sat at a computer and you've got a computer that can help, you know, run these potential applications that you can't do online, uh, can't do in person. What if we change the game so it's not about, you know, a fantasy world, but it's sort of modern times and we we have the, whereas with our in-person experience, we could have our environment change to match the narrative. With this, we'll change the narrative to match the environment. And so that's where the idea was sparked for our online game uh, agent venture where it was designed that you you and you and a group of friends would be on a Zoom call and form the support team of a secret agent, the titular agent venture character, who would be, you know, we were leaning into all the secret agent and the heist tropes who would who would be infiltrating a building on a secret mission and they'd have an earpiece that they'd be using to communicate to the team. So when you're playing the game, you'd all be on a Zoom call chatting to each other, looking through materials and sort of doing these challenges, whilst your agent venture character was on the other line describing what they were seeing because, of course, they were talking through an earpiece. Now, of course, in actual fact, that was just an actor on the other end of a computer, um, you know, like utilising their great acting skills to narrate what's happening and switch between different characters as the players would interact with them. Um, so it all it all came from there, really. And then it, it, we set ourselves a deadline of two weeks from create, generating the idea to actually getting it to market. Gosh, that's a tight time frame. <laughs> it was. <laughs> we wanted we wanted to be the first out there, so it was it was ambitious. But we hit it. Not going to lie, it was a bit of a crunch. 
Um, but we got it out there and then in two weeks it went live. And obviously there's always a few sort of kinks that you need to work out when you release something. Mm -hmm. But we were very quick to look at the feedback we were getting as soon as that was released, making changes immediately and then seeing how people responded. And then, you know, a couple of days in, we'd refined that formula and everyone was having a great time. We were getting five-star reviews as feedback and everyone was really enjoying it. What do you think the key to your very quick pickup and the growth spurt is? So I think there were a few things we did. I mean, you know, the fact that we moved quickly in the first place is important. Uh, you know, we we very much thought, let's get in quickly and get it, you know, let's let's create something and get it out there as soon as possible. If I look at our original in-person experience for the Adventure is Real, it took us almost two years from sort of generating the idea to getting it in front of paying customers. With Agent Venture, it took we, we took two weeks to do so. So I think that was really important. I think also it was the fact that once we released it, we kept optimizing the experience. We looked at how everyone was reacting to it when you've got your live audience. And after each game, we'd, we'd, we'd be watching it and saying, okay, this works, this didn't, let's now change this, this and this before we put it out there for the next group. And then on top of that, I think the one thing we've done really, really well is we really thought hard about what makes a great user experience. So there's lots of little things that we did. Uh, for example, you know, we allow people to join the Zoom call early. You can join 10 to 15 minutes before your mission begins because a group of friends want to say hello to each other before they start the game. Um, so simple things like that mean that people join, they say hi to each other. Of course, you know, very much when we're in the pandemic, people can't speak to each other face to face. They then get to catch up, uh, get warmed up, and then bam, they're ready to go when the clock starts. And it, there were a lot of other things we did sort of in a similar vein, but we really thought about the whole process from start to finish and how to optimise the user experience. Where do you see potential challenges arising with, you know, continuing this growth? So I think obviously we've received a huge boost because with restrict, you know, with lockdown restrictions being in place, everyone's been very eager to see how they can collect, connect online with other people. Um, now restrictions are easing. Obviously, there's a lot of catching up that everyone, including myself, wants to do in person. But we still know that we've got a great product. So now the challenge is how to showcase how you can still have great experiences online that actually have benefits compared to going out and do stuff uh, in person. So there's a lot of changing that, that needs to come now in terms of our marketing and the messaging. You know, beforehand, you can very much speak to people and say, look, if you want to socialize with your friends, then come use us because you, you, you know, you're, you're going to struggle to do it in person. Now, of course, you know, our messaging is going to be more around the benefits that online experiences bring compared to the, the in-person ones. Um, and we absolutely expect the in-person experiences to still thrive and people to go do them. Uh, but we we have a very great sort of supplemental offering. You know, the fact is that you can do an online game, 
without necessarily needing to hire a babysitter to look after any little ones you might have uh, as if you were going on a night out. You don't necessarily have the hidden costs that you sometimes have with in-person experiences where you need to buy drinks at a bar. And similarly, you know, doing things online is a lot more convenient because you can do them from your own home. Also, presumably, you can link in people. I mean, if you've got mates in the States and you've got some in Europe, you can have a really good get-together and be in different countries. Exactly. And we've seen lots of our customers choose to do that. Um, I think it's been interesting because a, a lot of the people that we've spoken to have even said how during the the lockdown, because everyone was, you know, because all of the socialization was occurring online, whereas beforehand, the, the friendship groups they would speak to on a regular basis were limited by those who lived in close proximity. All of a sudden, those morphed a bit because they could bring in people that they may not be able to just sort of pop over the road to say hello to. And we're seeing that that's sort of carrying forwards now. You know, I know a lot of people who have even made new friends during the, you know, during lockdowns uh, through people they've purely known online. And so they're going to absolutely be staying in touch with them in an online capacity because they do live in different countries and different locations, like you say, Amelia. You've got a financial background, which is a massive asset. I mean, I just know that from my chocolate business where I just thought, I wish I had someone on board with the accountancy side and everything. What other skills would you say that you've needed to create and also handle the growth spurt with the adventure is real? Gosh, I mean, there's so much to do and there's so many skills that really need to be utilised. And, I, you know, I absolutely don't have, uh, you know, the, the complete suite of, of skills that, that are needed to run a business. And I'm not sure if anyone does have all of those skills. So, you know, that's why you build a team of people who can complement you and bring those skill sets on board. Like I've got uh, one person on my team, Luke, who's been uh, an asset in terms of how we market our business and develop our sales strategy. On the design side, we've got uh, Jason, who's our head of design, who's helped massively with our script writing, the actual sort of acting during the development stage and training up of other people. We've got Ellie, and they've been a huge asset in terms of providing all the graphical design and arts, um, which I absolutely cannot do. I cannot draw to save my life. So if we didn't have someone, you know, drawing the art in our games, we'd be stuck. So... There's you, you need to utilise really all, all kinds. I think it helps to start off with a few key skills that you're, you personally are really good at uh, and then to look at how you can bring on people to help complement that so you, you sort of have a complete skill set amongst your team. So have you found any skills, Chris, that you didn't think you had? I didn't think I was as good at game design as... I actually am. You know, I used to design games as a as a hobbyist. And so I'd, you know, I'd play games with my friends, I'd I'd host games and quizzes and those kind of things. Even when I was working back in banking, I used to always organize social events. But you know, clearly we when we created Agent Venture, I had a very clear vision in my mind of how I wanted that game to look and how it was going to play. And even now, I look back over all of the online games that our competitors have created in that time, 
and it still surprises me just how some of them have just really not hit the the beats that I would have expected them to. Um, now, don't get me wrong, there are some there's some really really great online experiences out there uh, besides the ones that just we have at the Adventure is Real. But there's definitely been quite a lot where I've looked at those and thought, oh, I would I would do this and I would make that better. And, oh, I can't believe you've missed that out, so I would do that. And, you know, the Agent Venture series of games all were named in the top 20 online escape rooms in the world. Well done. Uh, and that was, yeah, thank you, that was by an escape room authority. And we were up against, you know, veterans who have been creating these kinds of games for, for years and years. And here we were, you know, just sort of came in a bit out of the blue and managed to get all three of ours consistently in the top 20. So that's, you know, I was proud as punch when when we were awarded those. And I think it's really a testament to some of these key ideas. And I think a lot of it goes back to, again, the user experience I talked about earlier that we were able to implement and put into our games. So it's been, I mean, I like designing games and I've been really pleased that, that despite not having a professional background doing it, I've been able to bring such a strong skill set. Um, of course, I've not done it solely off of myself. I've been working closely with Jason, who's our head of design, and Ellie as well, who's been you know handling the graphical and artistic side of things too. That was one of the ones where I, I knew I had something there, but I didn't realise it was it was quite as strong as it's proved to be. What would you say has been the greatest challenge so far? What has been the greatest challenge so far? I actually think it's been it's been sort of being resolved and steadfast when things potentially don't go your way. It's when you form an idea uh, and you think, okay, this is what I think people will do or how people are going to behave, and then you you do something uh, and or you you wait and see how trends play out and they don't immediately conform to that. And it's really easy to tuck tail and think, no, 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 let's let's rewind, let's stop this, let's change direction. But we found a lot of success by just having confidence in our in ourselves and our ideas and sticking to those. And then, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to wait a little bit longer, but then you start to see that you are right. The trends have moved in the way you expected. People are responding in the way you expected you know, you were right all along. And that's what I think is really the the biggest challenge to, to be able to sort of remain cool headed and trust in yourself when things aren't necessarily going the way you'd, you'd originally planned or hoped. Do you ever doubt yourself at all? All the time. Um, I think it's probably, yeah, on a very regular basis that I have doubts, you know, doubts that we're necessarily making the right decisions doubts uh, in myself that I have I got the right skill sets but I, I think I've kind of just learned to push through it um, at the end of the day you've got to make decisions and you've got to move forwards because you absolutely can't stay still it's it's not the kind of market where you have that luxury so absolutely I would say I have doubts about myself all the time but I've just kind of learned that I have to shake them off and keep moving forwards how do you cope out of your comfort zone? How do you cope with sort of uncertainty, which we have all had dollop loads of in the past year and a half? Exactly. How to cope with uncertainty. I think it's it's difficult. And I think it's 
it's difficult to to pinpoint any particular coping strategy I've used for it. I think I've kind of just had to take the plunge in many respects. There's a lot of things I'm uncertain about, but you know, you can't ever prove beyond uh, you know all forms of doubt that something is certain or something's going to happen. So I think sometimes the best approach is just to um, embrace the fact that that life is uncertain and there are risks and you you can't know everything and to just run with things. Have you had any sort of moments of serendipity with the business where, you know, those sort of coffee spill moments where you just think, oh, wow. There's not many. I can say that I've I've sort of got a mentoring uh, relationship with uh, someone I was... I say I was kind of put in touch with. It's a bit of a long story, but I've been sort of, I've wound up sort of creating this uh, mentoring relationship with a sort of veteran in the games industry who's been mentoring me for uh, some months now. And, you know, I'd originally sort of, I was on a a programme for startups uh, and they'd, I'd asked to be put in touch with them through that. And they'd sort of come and played Agent Venture beforehand. And, you know, I, they, they reached out to me uh, and we sort of had a really great chat, which was really nice. And, and they'd said to me, I think your game is good and I think your business model is investable. So that was a really great moment for me. And that kind of kicked off the, the fundraising of the business, which we're, we're just completing now to, to fund the next stage of our growth. Yeah, I was going to ask you about fundraising. How have you found that? <laughs> if you can share, I don't know. You might be in a sensitive situation with it and not able to share. Before we before we kicked it off, I was advised by lots of people that it, it can really take it out of you. Um, it can be arduous. It can be difficult. Mm-hmm. I found that the process hasn't been quite as tough as I was braced for. It still had lots of challenges. And I think there's a lot of technical aspects as well that come to executing the fundraising that are quite difficult but overall it's been okay I think is my is my sort of summary um you know as a startup we equity fundraising is a very common way to grow the business so I'm absolutely you know looking at whether we might do another large round in in the future I think if every round we did went as uh, went the way this one has I would probably be very very happy it, well, you're very lucky. It must have helped to have had your really solid finance background, I reckon. I think it did. Uh, obviously, it's very easy for me to understand our numbers and present those to people and, and talk to potential investors about what our numbers mean. So I think that, that definitely has helped. What are your ambitions for The Adventure is Real? So The, the Adventure is Real as a business, we want to grow that to be the place to play online games and experiences. Uh, Agent Venture is our sort of premier series, which we absolutely are looking at continuing in the future, but we're creating new games as well. We're working on our next one at the moment, which is a completely new IP with a very different theme and actually different gameplay. But again, it's played by people online and it connects them and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, but we really want to, we're going to be creating a, a host of, of new games, um, all online, all with live actors as part of the experience. And we really want to grow that. So it's the place to be 
and the go-to place for when someone wants to look at a, a fun online game to play with friends, they will come to the Adventures Reel. Who or what would you say has been the greatest influence so far? Gosh, it's a difficult one to answer because there's lots of entrepreneurs that I really admire in this space. And also, I think a lot of the time I, I, I'm really sort of pushed to try and prove myself. I think a large part as well is my my father died suddenly last year of a heart attack, um, sort of in August uh, 2020. And growing up, you know, if, if I ever got upset or down, my, my dad would always say like, oh, don't, you know, don't try and feel sorry for yourself, Chris, you need to go out and do something that will that will make you feel better. And I think there's a large part as well that sort of like since since that happened, I've mm. kind of just thought, yeah, like, you know, I've got to I've got to make this a success now. Like, you know, I've got, uh, you know, I've got to I've got to honor my dad's memory a bit. And, you know, he he was always one who believed in me and was always pushing me and was always saying, like, oh, don't you know, you should go for what you're you want to put your your mind to. And, you know, crucially, don't don't sort of sit around and mope and, and uh, you know, if things go badly, don't just sort of sit there and do nothing about it, go sort it out. So I think I think that's had a large influence on me. And I think especially when, you know, when there's been the sort of the, the low times over the past year. Yeah, I think I think I think I'd say that. That must be so challenging, Chris. I'm sorry to hear that about you losing your dad. Death is a, is a challenge and, and it must have been even more challenging being in lockdown. But I'm sure his spirit's around and I'm sure he's dead proud of his boy and looks down every now and again and probably nudges you in the direction that he thinks you should yeah. be going in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Chris, do you ever have that sort of inner critic, that internal negative sort of monologue that tells you you should be doing this or, you know, why did you do that? Do you ever suffer from that like so many of us do? I'd say absolutely. Um, I think sometimes I, I, I can be sort of quite very critical of myself um and you know i've even had people like you know people say to me my family members like chris you you always have to worry about something it's it's almost like it's my hobby like if i'm not worrying or anxious <laughs> about something then my my brain finds something to be anxious about i mean i would say absolutely but i think i think it's just something that a, a lot of people have and you just need to try and learn when to listen to it and when to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes the inner critic is is telling you something valid. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm not a psychologist, but I'm sure there'd be some psychologists out there who would even say that, that you, you have, you've evolved a sort of inner critic because it's there to warn you when something might be a really, really bad idea. But yeah, it's it's learning to ignore it sometimes, but also to, to listen to it as well, I, I think. So we're going to head into our quick fire round now, Chris. Optimist okay. or pessimist? Optimist. Introvert, extrovert, or a mix of them, which is an ambivert? I'd say introvert. Perfectionist or non-perfectionist? Perfectionist. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. So now we can head into our chocolate break. And Chris, I hope you've got your bar by the ready. Chris yeah. has picked to play safe, to quote him, to play safe, he's picked dairy milk. 
And actually, it's the same as one of our guests in series one. I think it was Freddie from Freddie's Flowers is a dairy milk guy as well. Why did you pick this bar apart from playing safe, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, dairy milk is a classic. It's very much timeless. And I I still think it is still quite a a British institution. I mean, I know Cadbury's were bought out by Kraft a a few years, probably more than a few years ago now. Um, But ignoring that... I still I still think dairy milk is, is, is just really nice. Well, you tuck in to have a quick chunk because then <laughs> I'm going to be tapping you for more answers. What I love about Cadbury's is, yes, they did sell and that was unfortunate where, you know, but the point is that the Cadbury family were just so incredible in the chocolate world and what they created and how their business model worked by setting up their model village and, and everything else. It's, it's really iconic name. Right. So I would love to ask you your thoughts on the words success and failure and really what they mean to you. Success and failure and what they mean to me. I mean, I think at the end of the day, what actually comes to mind is that they're not absolute. And I think sometimes we've, we've grown up in society with stories that have definitive endings, usually happy endings, and so we, we kind of grow up thinking, oh, great, I just need to, you know, storm the castle, slay the dragon and save the village. And then everything's happily ever after. But that's not how the real world works. You have numerous challenges you're always going to have to face. So you can succeed in one thing, but that doesn't mean challenges are ever going to stop. And crucially, the flip side of that is is failure. And and again, I think we've grown up with very binary outlooks to things that you you either succeed or fail and and then that's it. You know, failure is normal and, you know, you can fail at something and that's not the end of the world. You just have to try again until you've succeeded. So, and, you know, even a lot of the times failing at something means you've you've tried something new. I mean, uh, to use an analogy my dad always gave me, he'd take me skiing when uh, when I was a kid And he would always say, oh, if you fall down, it doesn't mean anything. You know, it just means you've tried something new when you're skiing. You know, you shouldn't look at it as a failure. And I think I think that 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 kind of sums it up, really. You know, if you failed at something, it's because you tried something new. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with that if it doesn't go the way you want. But you do need to get up and try again until you make a success. Absolutely. So, Chris, the important side of running your own business, I found, and I still find now with with my podcast, is the balance of looking after yourself. How important is incorporating well-being, wellness into your day? And do you manage to achieve it? I think it's paramount, really. And I say that as someone who doesn't always do the best job at incorporating uh and sort of looking after their own well-being, um, it's very easy to get wrapped up in work. And especially when you run your own business uh, and, you know, you can't always, you know, you need to be looking after your your clients and customers and you really want to put them first to give them a top-notch experience. So, you know, if a customer emails you, you want to get back to them straight away. If a client calls you, you want to be able to pick up the phone. But crucially, it is important to look after yourself because if, you know, if you're not operating at full capacity or, you know, you're depleted, then you're not going to be able to deliver the best experience and, and work at your best. I like to think I'm getting better at this for myself. 
you know, I've started trying to take regular breaks. I, I like to sort of take, if I ever get really stressed out, I like to just sort of take 10 to 15 minutes to go to a quiet place and maybe listen to some relaxing music uh, to try and sort of calm myself down um, and then sort of get back to work. Uh, I, I still think I've got a lot more to do in terms of this and looking after myself, but it is important and I think everyone should really be be looking at how they can take their own well-being seriously when running a business uh, and how to, to ensure that it's incorporated into their lifestyle. Do you do any physical exercise, Chris? I used to do lots of physical exercise back before, you know, before March 2020. Mm -hmm. I used to be a very avid gym goer. Mm -hmm. Over the past year, my level of exercise has been much lower. Uh, I've been sort of living out of a flat, which hasn't made things easy. I've not been able to create a home gym. I've been doing running quite regularly. I'm quite a I'm quite a tall and heavy chap, uh, over 100 kilos, so I can't run very far or particularly quickly. But I have been running, which has been helping quite a bit. The past few weeks, I've I've got a new puppy, so I've not had uh, been able to sort of run in the morning in the same way because I've had to look after them. Well, they're going to get you running as soon as they're old <laughs> enough. You're going to be out there. So, what puppy have you got? Uh, she's a French bulldog called Mabel. Oh, sweet! But she will be she'll be dragging you out, Chris. I think she's she's gonna yeah she's gonna get you super active. I know. What would you say triggers your stress and how does it affect you physically, mentally? I think there's a few different things. One thing that I I think has been uh, something that just affects me as a person for a long time is when new obstacles and challenges arise out of the blue, especially when it's, you know, things like I'm working on something and a new email comes in and I think, oh my God, I now need to deal with that on top of what I'm already working on. I've found that often, you know, I will get extremely stressed when I've got a lot to do because my brain will think, oh, I need to look, I've got this massive to-do list in my head. I've got to remember all of these things to do. I can't let go of them because then I'll forget to do them and then I'll wind up in trouble. So, you know, that I've been able to resolve by actually just on a regular basis writing things down. I like to write a to-do list on a regular basis because it gets, it means I can take all of those thoughts that I'm sort of storing in my head and I'm panicking about, put them on paper and think, oh, actually, this isn't this isn't that bad. I can just tackle these in this order and that will that will be OK. I think that's a large part of it. Just letting that that pile of things to do pile up and not being able to sort of approach it in a structured manner. So, you know, managing that helps a lot. I'm definitely with you on a to-do list. I do that. I find psychologically it really helps, especially when you shift that page and you think, wow, I can turn the page. So would you say that you, how do you sleep? Would you say that you sleep quite well? Well, at the moment, we I'm sleeping on the uh, living room floor with my uh, puppy in a pen next door and she wakes me up in the night because she wants to go outside. So over the past few weeks, my sleep hasn't been optimal. Before that, I mean, I would say that I, I sleep okay, but not amazing. And I think that, that something I've, I've actually struggled with, uh, and I'm getting better at, but I still struggle with, is, is turning off full stop. Mm -hmm. What I find sometimes is it's very difficult for me, if I stop working for the evening, I'll sit down to try and watch TV, but I'll wind up messing around on my phone and looking at my emails. I'll still think about work. 
And crucially, I found that that causes problems for me because I don't actually get any downtime. Uh, it's, it's what I found actually helps is, is enforcing downtime on myself by making myself do a, an active activity. So actually, what's really helped me is playing video games. Well, hold on. Doesn't that really stimulate your brain? Well, here's the thing. It distracts me from work because I'll sit down to play a video game. And for that hour or two hours I'm playing my video game, I won't be thinking about work. I'll just be thinking about the video game. I'm not um, convinced about that strategy, Chris. <laughs> I think everything needs to be turned off. No wonder you can't sleep. You're plugged in. I mean, I think I probably am, but all I can say is that by, you know, if I play a video game for an hour or two after a hard day of work, then that really helps me switch off from work itself. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I'll make sure that I don't finish playing a game and go straight to bed. Um, but I found that playing video games sort of really helps, you know, make it, it enforces me to have downtime. Um, and so in doing that, I actually feel a lot more relaxed because I've actually had a, a break from the work mindset. What music, Chris, would you say makes you feel good? And what book would you miss if it wasn't on your bookshelf? I've been listening to lots of 80s style synth music over the past year. Um, which is a bit strange, but yeah, I, I think it was at the start of lockdown, my YouTube just sort of suggested it to me. <laughs> and I wound up listening to loads of quite obscure bands, um, you know, modern bands sort of creating things that sound very 80s using synth. So I've been listening to a lot of that. But then on top of that, if I really need to relax, I'll, I'll listen to Enya. Um, so if I'm having a really stressful day sometimes, I'll sometimes just put Enya on and that will relax me quite a bit. Um, I've forgotten about Enya and Orioco Flow. Was it something like that? Yes, yes, Orioco Flow, um, classic. And yeah, that, that kind of stuff really chills me out. And your book that you would miss. I'm assuming that you have time to read a book, but now I'm thinking maybe you don't. Yeah, I'm still, uh, I'm still needing to improve my reading. Um, and I think one thing I really want to do over the next 12 months is come out with a, a, a real plan for the books that I want to read, um, fiction and non-fiction. So in terms of books that I couldn't live without, uh, there's a really great book. So there's, I, if, if I can say two, there's a really great book on game design um, called Game Design, A Book of Lenses by Jesse Shell that is... A uh, really, really interesting book and a really interesting approach to how we play games. Um, and in terms of sort of a, a book that I like to read for fun, there's an author, Joe Abercrombie, who's got a, a series of sort of fantasy books. And the the first one in that was excellent. Um, the Blade itself, I'd, I'd recommend that. What advice would you give to anybody who's running their own business at the moment and needing a bit of motivation or someone who's thinking about starting up their business? I think probably say just, you know, if I had to boil it down to a sentence, just do it. Uh, you know, you can you can spend ages trying to convince yourself if, if something is the right thing to do or not, but you can waste a lot of time and still not necessarily get anywhere. So I think uh, with things like this, it's sometimes best just to sort of take the leap and you can, you know, worry about things later. Once you get moving, a lot of things will fall into place. 
And Chris, the podcast is called Hope and Patience, as you know. Where have you had to have a lot of hope and patience? Gosh, I think after we released uh, Agent Venture for the first time, we had a really great uh, sort of initial response. But obviously there was then a period when we were, you know, like sort of developing the, the sequels. And alongside that, that was when my father passed. That was a really tough time um, as we were sort of waiting for, you know, like trends to change and people to sort of play our newer games. Uh, and obviously I was sort of dealing with, the, you know, uh, the, the, the death of my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd really say that that time sort of was August, September last year. I really had to use a lot of hope and patience um, in terms of the, the business and just life itself. But it it paid off. Um you know, October, November, we started getting lots of corporate bookings coming in and everything just sort of exploded from there. So where can our listeners find out more about The Adventure is Real and hear the latest? So you can check out our game, uh, Agent Venture, at www.agentventure.com. And you can also go to www.theadventuresreal.com to see the latest that we have out. I would love to say the hugest of thanks, Chris, for joining us today on Hope and Patience. It's been a real treat to chat with you. Thank you very much, Amelia. Thanks for having me and it's been great to talk to you too. Anyway, before I go, it's time for my book recommendation and quote for this episode. So the book is all around happiness. Now, the definition of happiness can mean something different to us all. And and this book is a fable which gets you exploring happiness. And it's written by the psychiatrist Francois Lelour. And it's called Hector and the Search for Happiness. And it's a real gem. And the quote for this episode is from the book. And it's one of Hector's lessons that he learnt about happiness. It's a mistake to think that happiness is the goal. A huge thank you for finding the show. I hope you enjoyed our chat. Don't forget to follow, subscribe to get the latest episode. And if you're enjoying the show, it'd be truly fab if you could rate and review it, or better still, share it with folk who may value a gem or two. Any book recommendations, quotes, songs can be found in the show notes and on the website too. Let me know what you'd like to hear more of, less of, none of. If you'd like a shout out on the show, just ping me a DM on Insta or ping me an email. Until the next time, however challenging your times get, keep that very special inner sparkle you have shining. Hope and Patience with Amelia Rope. Join the conversation at hopeandpatience.co.uk. Find Amelia on Facebook at Hope and Patience or on Twitter and Instagram at Amelia underscore rope.